Jesus Christ's death, the very year, month, day, and hour were predicted centuries before he was born. Welcome to the Millennial Apologist Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan. And in this episode, we're going to piggyback off of last episode's theme, which was proving the Bible's inspiration by examining prophecy, specifically messianic prophecy. Today, we are going to discuss what I think is the most phenomenal passage in the entire Bible. It can be found in Daniel chapter 9, which was written about 538 BC when the Israelites were under Babylonian captivity. And uh, this records Daniel's prayer to God for the blessing of the Israelites and the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. When Daniel is praying, though, the archangel Gabriel visits him and gives him an outstanding prediction. And this prediction can be found in verses 25 to 26, which state, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after sixty-two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So here, Gabriel is making a clear, straightforward prediction, which is that the time between the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem and the arrival of the Messiah will be sixty-nine weeks. Because here he says, back in verse 25, that know therefore and understand from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that's seven plus 62 equals a total of 69 weeks. Notice that Gabriel also says that right after the Messiah arrives, he will be cut off, but not for himself. And if you read a little further in that passage, uh, the next verse, verse 27, it talks about a subsequent week, a 70th week, and that's a whole nother issue, which is a topic for another episode, but we are just concerned on these first 69 weeks for Messianic prophecy because this is a countdown, basically, until the arrival of Messiah. So in order to test this prediction, we have to determine three things. One when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem went out, two, how much time 69 weeks is, and three, if anything special happened 69 weeks after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem went out. As far as the first determinant, which is when the decree was issued, traditionally there have been three decrees that have been put forth as the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. One of those is when King Cyrus ordered the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, as recorded in Second Chronicles 36 and Ezra 1. This took place in 537 BC. The second is when King Artaxerxes granted the Israelites permission to reinstitute the temple services, appoint judges and magistrates, and purchase animals for offerings. And this is recorded in Ezra 7. This was in 457 BC. And the third option is when King Artaxerxes ordered the rebuilding of the walls, gates, and overall structure of Jerusalem as recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2, and this was in 444 BC. Now just going over those decrees, we can see that really only the third one fits the description given by Gabriel, because Gabriel specifically says that the street and the wall shall be built again. So he's talking about the overall structure and physicality of the city of Jerusalem. 
whereas the first decree was just rebuilding the temple. And the second decree really doesn't fit at all because there wasn't much building going on. It was just reinstituting temple services. Um, some cults like to use this decree, though, as the starting point of this prophecy because it fits with their weird doctrine and history they have that their whole cult relies on. But if we just look at it, look at what the text says, we see that only the third decree really fits this description because that's the only one that actually rebuilds the walls, the gates, and the overall structure of Jerusalem. Actually, Nehemiah, after the second chapter of Nehemiah, he goes into great detail discussing the construction of the walls rebuilding. So Nehemiah tells us that the decree went out in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king. So uh, the Jewish month Nisan correlates to our March or April. So sometime in the spring. And if we want to be really specific, then we see that the month Nisan likely started on March 4th of 444 BC. This can be seen by uh, historical data, uh, which can be found in Parker and Duberstein's work called Babylonian Chronology 626 BC to AD 45. And it's also supported by astronomical calculations, which show that a new moon would have been visible at about 10 p.m. on March 4th, and that would signal the start of a Jewish month because ancient Jewish months were dependent on a lunar cycle. Therefore, we have our starting date of March 4th, 444 BC. Now we'll find out determinant 2, which is the length of time 69 weeks are. So we have to be careful with this because the word week simply means a set or period of sevens. And while we usually only have weeks of days, the Israelites had weeks of days, weeks of years, and weeks of weeks of years. So here's a basic example of a week of day. It can be found in Exodus 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Here's a week of years. It can be found in Leviticus 25, verses 3 to 4. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. So, following just basic hermeneutics and uh, biblical evidence in Genesis 29, verse 27, Numbers 14:34, and Ezekiel 4, verse 6, we come to the conclusion that these 69 weeks are weeks of years rather than days. So the next question would be, what is a biblical year? Because cultures throughout centuries have had different definitions for a year. Even the West has changed their definition of a year. There's evidence that a biblical year consists of 360 days, which is 12 months of 30 days each. This can be found in Genesis 7:11, when it states that the water of Noah's flood started during the 17th day of the second month. And then Genesis 3 to 4 states that 150 days after the flood, the waters calmed down and the ark rested on the 17th day of the seventh month. So the time between the flood's beginning, which is the 17th day of the second month, and the ark resting on the mountain, which is the 17th day of the seventh month, is stated to be 150 days. So here we have 150 days equated to five months, which works out perfectly to have 30 days per month. This can also be seen in Revelation, when Revelation 12 
compares three and a half years with 1,260 days. So if we use uh, a 360 day year, then this makes perfect sense because 360 days times three and a half years equals 1,260 days. Uh, however, using our modern year, the Gregorian year, or even the Julian year wouldn't work out. But now that we've discovered what a biblical year is, in order to add our 69 weeks of biblical years to the Julian calendar, we have to convert those biblical years to Julian years. I don't know, it's probably getting a little confusing right now talking all about the different years and dates and all that, but just remember that the Julian year was used from 46 BC to AD 1582. So the reason we are converting the biblical years to Julian years and not our modern day Gregorian year is because we need it to correlate with the Julian calendar because these events took place before the year 1582. And if we do that, we have 69 weeks of biblical years. So 69 times 7 equals 483 total biblical years. Um, so to convert that to Julian calendars, basically we'll just simplify that into the number of days and then turn those number of days into Julian years. So 483 biblical years times 360 days per year equals a total of 173,880 total days. And then if you get all those days and divide those by the number of days in a Julian year, which is 365.25, we come to 476.05 Julian years. And if we round that to the nearest year, we see that 483 biblical years equals 476 Julian years. So after all that math and confusion, we finally arrived at 476 years for the time between the command to restore Jerusalem and the cutting off of the Messiah. And now that leads us to our last determinant, which is the third thing we must discover, which is if anything special happened when we add 476 years to 444 BC. And it's important to note that there is no year zero in the calendar. So the years go directly from 1 BC to AD 1. So there is no year zero in our calendar. And when we add 476 years to Nisan of 444 BC, we come to Nisan in the year AD 33. So the question is, did anything special happen in AD 33? Why, yes, something that split human history in half happened in AD 33, because that is the year when Jesus Christ was crucified. There's a debate among scholars. Some believe the crucifixion happened in AD 30. Others believe it was AD 33. But those two years, AD 30 and 33, are the two years that are the most commonly accepted. And we'll have to go over this on another podcast because this itself would take 20 to 30 minutes to discuss why uh, Jesus was crucified in 33 rather than 30. Luke tells us that Jesus' ministry began in the 15th year of Tiberius, and then we see the number of Passovers recorded in the Gospels, which is at least three. And so that means because a Passover happens once every year, if you take the 15th year of Tiberius and add at least three Passovers, you end up further than the year AD 30. So 
8030 is out of the question as far as fitting it into the time frame that the uh, New Testament documents support. Again, we can devote a whole podcast to that. Regardless, in 8033, the Messiah arrived and was then cut off, but not for himself, just like Daniel predicted over 500 years before his birth. I mean, that is insanity. <laughs> Here, Daniel's writing in 538 BC. And even the secular atheist scholars, though they would say, oh, no, that wasn't written in 538. They, they'll claim that was written during the 2nd century BC. But regardless, nobody doubts that Daniel was written before Christ was born. And so the remarkable thing is that this gave a pinpoint accurate prediction that 476 years which is 69 weeks of biblical years, 476 years after the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem was instituted, the Messiah arrived and was cut off. That is remarkable. Nothing else has this type of amazing evidence of inspiration. I mean, you can know the Bible is inspired by God because it predicts the future with such wonderful accuracy. And another thing that's very cool is that while Daniel predicted the exact year Christ would be crucified, which, quick little side note, if you take the uh, specific time that Nisan stretched for from 44 BC and you add the 69 weeks of biblical years to that, you come to a time frame of basically mid-March to mid-April of AD 33, which is actually correct in the month that Christ was crucified because Christ was crucified in early April of AD 33. So Daniel pinpointed the exact year and month that the Messiah came, presented himself, and then was crucified. Another really cool thing, though, is that Moses actually foreshadowed the exact month and day the Messiah would be crucified over 1,400 years before Jesus' birth. And we can see this in the Passover ritual. Uh, So before God led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, he inflicted multiple plagues on the Egyptians as punishments for continually refusing to let the Israelites leave Egypt. Uh, The final plague God smote Egypt with was the death of every firstborn in the land. But God told the Israelites that in order for their firstborns to survive the plague, they must perform the ritual of the Passover, which can be found in Exodus 12, and states, This month, which is the month of the sun, shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, And the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, and you shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood, and strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. The blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So that's why it's called Passover, because if you had the blood of the lamb covering you, then God's wrath passed over you. Kind of sounds like the gospel, huh? Weird. Anyway, so the ritual Passover seems extremely odd to Gentiles, and it probably seems strange to the Israelites as they performed it every year for centuries. However, God gave the Passover to the Israelites to be a symbol for the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. The New Testament constantly refers to Christ as the Lamb, which can be seen in John 1.29, 1 Peter 1.19, 
Revelation 5, verses 5 to 6. And 1 Corinthians 5, 7 specifically states that Christ is our Passover that was sacrificed for us. And just looking at the Passover lamb and Jesus Christ, we see striking similarities. So they were both without blemish. They were both chosen on Nisan 10, which the 10th of Nisan is Jesus' famous triumphal entry when he presents himself as Messiah by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as you recall, last episode we covered that. That was also a prophecy written by Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, that Messiah will come bringing salvation. He will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. So they were uh, the Passover lamb and Jesus were both without blemish. They were chosen on the same day of the month Nisan. They were slaughtered on the same day of the month Nisan because we see in John 19, verses 14 to 18, Jesus was crucified on Nisan 14. And also they did not have a single bone broken. One of the stipulations for the Passover lamb was that it would not have a single bone broken. And John 19, 32, 36 records that Jesus indeed did not have a single bone broken. And if you recall, Jesus had the two criminals crucified along with him, and the Romans broke the legs of the two criminals because that was the way to speed up death during crucifixion because the victims of crucifixion died by suffocation, actually, by having their arms outstretched so much and collapsing their lungs. So if they would break the legs of the person hanging on the cross, they could no longer push up on the nail between their feet, and therefore they had just the full weight of their body collapsing their lungs. But John records that when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs. They didn't break his bones. Instead, what did they do? The guard pierced him with the spear and out came blood and water. And so, you know, this Roman guard, he didn't know he was fulfilling a prophecy that the Messiah was not to have a bone broken. But for some reason, he didn't break his legs. He instead pierced him, leaving his bones intact. Another really cool thing is that uh, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus stated in his work Wars of the Jews, this is in book six, that the high priests upon the coming of that feast, which is called the Passover, slayed their sacrifices from the ninth hour till the eleventh hour. Now, if we read Mark's gospel, uh, Mark says that at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So something kind of cool, you know, it pulls from an extra biblical source, Josephus, but I just thought that was really neat that Josephus here says that during the Passover, the priest would start slaying the Passover lambs at the ninth hour, and that is the exact hour that Mark records Jesus as being crucified in. So pretty remarkable. So all in all, we see that when we take Daniel and Moses' writings and slam them together, we have that the Messiah's death, Jesus Christ's death, the very year, month, day, and hour, and circumstances of the whole thing were predicted centuries before he was born. Now, that's absolutely phenomenal. Show me any other person in the history of the world that has had the exact day of their death predicted centuries in advance. And you can't because this is the unique proof that the Bible is from God. It is divinely inspired, and that's why it should be authoritative in your life, and you can trust it when it talks about matters such as death, dying, hell, heaven, and everything else. And so that is the summary of Daniel's uh, first 69 weeks, his prophecy of the 
It's usually referred to Daniel's 70 weeks, but we were just concerned here with the first 69 because that predicted when Messiah was to arrive and be crucified. And we went pretty well in depth with that, but honestly, you could go even deeper. Uh, I've written, I've included this in one of my books. I've written an extensive article about this prophecy. There's just so much to unpack in it, but bottom line is Jesus Christ's death was predicted to the day centuries before he was born, and that is remarkable. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Millennial Apologist. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all have a good day.